Love the nouns, love the pronouns, impersonal and personal. Love the words from ELFM. So good afternoon and welcome to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM at Chapel FM Arts Centre. It's four o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon. This is where we are and who we are. Uh, later in the show, uh, after about half an hour, we've got a fascinating feature about hair hills introduced by Shizoki Hujoku. But first of all, we've got a resident storyteller, Vicky Orton. Hello, Vicky. Hello there. It's great to have you back, and oh, so soon, actually. Yeah, it's lovely. I really love coming here. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice home from home. Ah, well, funny you should mention that phrase. We've got a lot happening with home from home and that theme at the moment. In fact, we're rehearsing uh, our play, our kind of community piece that we're doing with a cast of about 20 or 30 mixed ages, which is, and the performances, I think, at the, uh, at the end of March. Is that right, Henry? Uh, I can confirm, yes. <laughs> that is Henry. So, um, yeah, that was well set up for me there, Vicky. Thank you. Um, so how are you today? I'm very well, very excited today because I've got a brand new story. So and you've never told it before? I've never, ever told it before. So, uh, yeah, mm. I'm really excited. Well, I think I'm just going to... I always enjoy this because I just sit here and listen to a story being told which is just a lovely way to spend part of an <laughs> afternoon so you know whenever you're ready go for it right well i thought as valentine's day is coming up i'd tell a kind of a love story um and also on a personal level it was my partner and i we've been living over the broom for 35 years so it was our anniversary yesterday so love is in the air and uh, yeah. well, yeah, <laughs> just you know, get on with it. <laughs> As you can tell, I'm a deeply romantic person, but uh, which is why the title of this story, Sorrow and Love, is quite fitting. Um, anyway, it was uh, when the Valentine's Fair was coming to town and, oh, you know, the excitement was palpable. In all of the villages, you could almost, almost taste it, you could almost feel it. And what's more, because it was a leap year, it meant that all those lassies who'd been going going out with their bows for oh, quite a while and we're waiting for them to pop the question and maybe those lads were just a, a wee bit shy or whatever it was but because it was a leap year the lassies could ask them ask the blokes to marry them uh, and if the lads said no well they had to buy the girls a pair of gloves so really for the girls it was a win-win situation and uh, anyway the excitement was the same at Gadding's farm and uh, Johnny's three daughters well they were all in a state of excitement about the fair same as everybody else I mean Peggy is eldest well she'd been going out with the blacksmith for well longer than she cared to remember and really she thought it was high time and asked the question so she got it all set up she was going to go to the fair and Davy the blacksmith he would have his stall there and she was going to go with a group of her friends and then she was just going to sidle up to Davy 
and to kindle those sparks of romance, she was going to give him a big kiss and she was going to ask him there and then to marry her. And I mean, it would have been a brave man to say no in front of all her friends and in front of all the other spectators that gather around by the blacksmith. So she'd got herself sorted. And Nellie, well, Nellie, she was the middle daughter and she hadn't really got anybody that she was going out with. But, you know, she liked to go and have a look, check out the eye candy, so to speak. And, uh, well, who didn't enjoy the Valentine's Fair? And and she was going to go with her friends and they'd they'd look at the stalls and they'd maybe go on the, the galloping horses or even the gondolas, which went so high, you always regretted having a toffee apple before you went on them. And as for the youngest, Sophie, well, she was quite a bit younger than her sister's. But she really loved the galloping horses and she liked all the other rides and she loved to have a go at the coconut shy and the chance to win one of those exotic fruits. You know, it always surprised her and how when you turned them over, they'd got a little face on it. And obviously the toffee apples and the candy floss. I mean, what wasn't there to like? So everything was looking good. But... The week before the fair, it started to rain, and I mean rain, it rained, and it rained, and it rained without a single let-up, and the ground became absolutely sodden, and what was mud just became a quagmire. And so, come the day of the fair, while Peggy and Nellie were busy getting themselves ready to set off, she was just kind of kicking about the house, and a Ah, oh, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't know if I want to go. And so when the, the father said, "Right, are you ready, girls?" Peggy said, "Yep, I'm ready to go." Lily said, "Yep, I'm ready to go." And so we said, "I don't want to go. I, I, I don't want to get my boots muddy." And I said, so, so "What do you mean you don't want to get your boots muddy?" Well, I've got to wear my best boots. Haven't I? I'm not going to wear the boots that I wear for knocking around the farm. I mean, you don't know who's going to be there. And they said, well, nobody's going to be looking at your feet. No, no, and I don't want to get mud over my best dress. And, you know, it's just, well, don't wear your best dress. Put something else on. I can't do that. What if people see me? My friends might be there. I'm not having them seeing me in my everyday clothes. No, if I'm going to go, I'm going to wear my finery. Oh, come on. Surely it's not worse all that. No, I'm not going to go. And so the father looked and said, well, sorry, girls, if Sophie isn't going, then I'm not going to take either of you to. I mean, it's not really very fair. What do you mean it's not fair? It's not fair that we're not going. No, you need to stay behind and look after Sophie. Well, hang on a minute. Look, Sophie, tell you what, I'll pay for you to go on the galloping horses. I'll buy you toffee apples. I'll buy you candy floss until you're full of candy floss. How about it? Nah, said Sophie, I don't, I don't want to get wet. Look, it's raining out there now. And Peggy said, look, come on, look, look, we'll make it worth your while. I promise you, we'll find somewhere for you to sit. You won't have to get your boots muddy. Dad'll be taking us in the cart, so it's not like you're going to have to walk there. No, no, don't want to go. <sighs> so I guess that means we're not going then either. Sorry, girls. So the father, but I tell you what, look, I'll bring you something back. So Sophie 
What would you like? Can I have a toffee apple, please? Yeah, I can bring you a toffee apple back. That's fine. No problem. Peggy, what about you? What, what can I bring back for you? Well, you can give David the blacksmith a great big kiss from me and you can ask him to marry me. That's what I was going to do. And John sort of went a bit red at this. said, well, I'm not sure I'm, I'm going to give him a big kiss, not in front of everybody there. Um, I might ask him, you know, if he'll marry you, but I'm certainly not going to give him a kiss. Well, no, I didn't really expect that you would. So in which case, then I'll have a quarter of barley twist, please. <laughs> and Nellie, what would you like, Nellie? Well, I'd like then a quarter of sorrow and love. Okay, to John. And he set off with the cart and away he went to market. And he thought, right, I'll just get my bit of business done first and then I'll buy the presents for the girls. And then I'll join my mates for, for a couple of jars before heading home because it is awful wet, really. So he did his business, sold what he had to sell, bought toffee apple for Sophie. That was dead easy. He went over to see David the blacksmith. That was slightly... Um, Less easy, shall we say. He certainly uh, didn't give him a kiss, but he he put in a good word and uh, dropped heavy hints about possible future marriage. And Davy seemed, yeah, quite taken on that. So he felt quite comfortable, but to make sure he did remember to buy the quarter of barley twists. But then sorrow and love. And when he sat down to think about it, well, what, what? She didn't tell me what sorrow and love is. Is it kind of sweet? And so he asked the sweet seller, sorrow and love? No, no, never heard of it. Mm, you sure she meant sorrow and love? Maybe she meant sour apples. No, no, if she wanted sour apples, she'd have said sour apples. Well, what about Pontifrac cakes? Some people like them, some people hate them. Sorrow and love? No, no, she'd have said ponty cakes if that's what she meant. Yeah, I don't know. Um, is it a type of a ribbon or a type of button? So he went over to the ribbon and the button stalls and they'd never heard of anything like it. Heard of a Dorset button, but they'd never heard of sorrow and love. Is it a medicine? They asked. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I'm not going to that quack over there with his cure-all because whether or not he sells sorrow and love, he'll tell me that he sells sorrow and love and I'll spend a good penny on something that's now but coloured water. And so in the end, he went to join his friends in the bar and, and they sat chatting. Have you ever come across sorrow and love? Nay. Sorrow and love? What's that? He said, well, Aunt Nelly, she asked for it. She's winding you up. No, not Aunt Nelly. I mean, Peggy, yeah, Peggy, I could believe she would. She'd have me go and get a long stand, but not Aunt Nelly. No. Ah, said one of them, who knows what's in the minds of women? They're a mystery to me. And so John had a few more jars and he thought, no, I can't relax. I, I, I've got to get us something. But reluctantly, they decided to give up and head home. And so he set off back in the cart on the old milk cob. She made a steady eight miles an hour. Jump, 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 jump. When... The old cob's ears started to to twitch and swivel behind her. And before long, he could hear the galloping of hooves coming up behind him. 
Well, that wasn't any old farmer's nag. Sounded like a thoroughbred, and sure enough, up at the side of him came a beautiful thoroughbred. She was chestnut red, a white star on her forehead, four white socks, pretty little thing. And the bloke who was riding her, well, he wasn't just any old bloke, actually, he was a gentleman. You could tell it was just, you could tell in his face, he had the face of a nobleman. He was clean shaven. And, and when he spoke, his voice, it was like a band playing. But he was using all of his strength to try and keep his horse reined in. The bit was hard in the back of her mouth and foam flying like big flakes of snow. The veins on her neck standing out like cords and the sweat dripping off her like a hail of bullets. Her chestnut coat was black with sweat and shiny like jet. She was all of a dither. At the touch of her, she'd have jumped out of her skin and she would have been gone. But the gent held the horse and turned to John and said, What's the matter? You think you've been diddled? Have you, have you had a bad do? No, no, said John. It's our lass. She's asked for a pennyworth of sorrow and love and a and I, I just, I don't know, I don't know where to get sorrow and love. Oh, I can get you sorrow and love, said the gentleman. Can you? Can you get me a penny's worth? Oh, I can get you a penneth worth. I can get you ten shillings worth. I can get you a hundred pounds worth. Yeah, that's no problem. Tell you what, I'll come, come to your farm and, I, and I'll see your lass. Gadding's farm, isn't it? Gadding's farm? How do you know, how do you know that? It's on the side of your cart. Oh, yeah. And so, as John made his way home steadily, by the time he got there, the gentleman was waiting outside the house. John slowly dismounted and he went into the house and he gave the two girls their presents. And then he said to Nellie, well, your sorrow and love, um, there's a gentleman out there who might be able to help you. And so... Nellie went out the house and she saw the gent standing there on his proud horse, dancing away, desperate to get on the move again. Now then, he said, sorrow and love, is it? Oh, yes, please, sir, said Nellie. And she felt herself going red and she wasn't one to blush easily. But there was something about this gentleman that, that kind of set her heart fluttering if you come back at eight this evening he said I'll be waiting just here you come out the house and I'll see what I can do for you oh thank you thank you she said <laughs> she couldn't help noticing that she seemed to be grinning one of those silly grins that goes from ear to ear and with that the gentleman gone off and she went back into the house well then said her sister well then what happened He's coming back tonight, eight o'clock. You've got to help me, Peggy. You've got to do something with my hair. And and Nellie, um, Sophie, you, you can just 
brush off my shoes for me and then eight o'clock I'll be ready for them and that oh they were all a, all of a twitter that just couldn't settle to anything till eight o'clock came and then when eight o'clock came Sophie and Peggy hid behind the curtain and they, and they looked out so they could get a glimpse of this mysterious gent but Nellie she went out and she saw him and he said well it's not that easy to get your hands on sorrow and love as quickly as this but if you come meet me by the crossroads tomorrow at eight o'clock in the morning, then I will definitely have sorrow and love for you. But don't be late, mind. You can tell this horse she doesn't really like hanging around, so make sure you're on time, whatever you do. And with that, once more, he turned and he disappeared. And Peggy, who by this time, and Nellie, by who by this time was... Um, Oh, she was beaming ear to ear and there was just something about this gent. There was something about his eyes. They they seemed kind eyes, slightly mischievous eyes, but but there was definitely love and kindness in those eyes. And his mouth, well, there was a kind of a a smile that seemed to hover about his lips and well, I suppose at the end of the day. Nellie, she was fair smitten. She knew that he was the man for her. She didn't know why, but there was just something in her heart that said, yep, he's the one. And so she was telling her sister about how handsome he was and how she just knew that he was the man that she wanted to marry. She couldn't put a finger on it, but then love is a strange thing. And, you know, we're not always ready when Cupid's arrow hits us and... uh, Yep, she'd got it bad. She tossed and she turned all night. She just couldn't wait for eight o'clock in the morning to come. And then, as so often happens, just before eight, she fell into a deep, deep sleep. And when she woke up, she realised it was five to eight. And the crossroads, well, the crossroads was a good five minutes away. And she didn't even have time to think about what to do with her hair or anything. She pulled on the fine dress she'd worn last night. And because there were no laces, she just grabbed her fancy little slippers and put them on. And she ran and ran all the way to the crossroads until she finally got there. And and there was the gent on his horse as he'd promised to be. <sighs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm late. Yeah, you're late. I said eight o'clock. It's gone eight o'clock. Oh, I'm really so- I'm sorry, you've not been waiting ages for me, have you? And the gent dismounted from his horse. And he looked nearly up and down. And she saw those twinkling eyes and she saw that smile hovering about his lips. And her heart just started pounding and oh, she her knees, she went weak at the knees. And, and he reached out and he took her hand in his and he took her glove off. And she closed her eyes expecting those soft lips to gently kiss the back of her hand. But instead, those soft lips bit the tip of her finger off. Ow! That wasn't what she'd expected. And with her bloodied finger, 
he made three dots down the front of his clean white shirt. And he got on to his horse and he called out, My name is Lord King Cayley. If you can find me again, you can marry me. Well, Nellie was... She, she, she didn't know what to do. She, she, she grabbed hold of the stirrup. And as the horse set off, she hung on and she clung on for as long as she could. But this was even before his spur had touched the side of the horse. The horse was galloping like the wind. But this horse, well, it was like a swallow flying. And she couldn't hold on any longer and he disappeared like the wind and she found herself in the middle of nowhere now some people they might sit down and cry with anger they might sit down and cry with pain at having had their fingertip bitten off but Nellie didn't do that And love can do such strange things to you that she didn't sit down and cry at all. All she thought was, that man has gone off with my heart and I'm very happy for him to have my heart but I want to be with him. And she looked around and there's no houses, nothing and literally in the middle of, well, Heathland. And so she sat out walking in the direction that she thought that the horse had gone. And she walked and she walked and and the sun rose high midday and still she walked. And as the sun started to set, still she walked on. And then as night came, she knew she would have to find somewhere to stop. And she looked for a suitable burrow in amongst the the scratchy heather. And eventually, she dropped down exhausted. Her feet were torn to pieces. Those little slippers are fine for dancing, They're fine for going to the fairground when it's not wet and muddy, but they're no good for walking. But eventually she slept. She slept an exhausted sleep, tossing and turning, thinking about that man who had galloped away with her heart. And in the morning she woke up and she was starving, hungry. I mean, she knew which berries to eat and she did grab handfuls and handfuls of of bilberries, but they weren't going to fill her up. And eventually she came to a small settlement and, well, she'd never had to beg in her life. She didn't know know how to beg. And although she looked a bit dishevelled, people just thought she sounded a bit too well-spoken to be a beggar. And, well, some folks were were downright rude and abusive. Some folks set the dogs on her. But there were some kind souls that took pity on her and gave her a crust of bread and and maybe a cup of milk. And 
And she vowed that if ever she found anybody in a situation like she was in, she would help them regardless. And so Nellie trudged on and on and she'd ask anybody she came across, um, have you heard of Lord King Cayley? No. No, no, never, no, never heard. No, I know. All the folks around here, all the squires, never heard of a Lord King Cayley. And on she went for days, weeks probably. She had no measure of the time. Until eventually she came to some marshland. And when she looked out across the marsh, she could see a castle rising in the air, a very fine castle, but it was surrounded by ice. And an old man carrying reeds came up to her and said, Oh, you'll not cross, not cross that moat. Not with what you've got on your feet. What have you got on your feet? Oh, nothing really. Aye, that's what I thought. No, you need wooden patents to cross there. Well, I haven't got any wooden patents. Well, I tell you what, if you carry this bundle of reeds back to my cottage, I'll give you some patents. And the deal was done. And she got the patents and she crossed over and reached the castle. And when she reached the castle, she went up to the door and she knocked on the door and she asked the housekeeper for some work. And the housekeeper said, you look nothing but a tramp. Do you think I'm taking a tramp in like you? What's happened, girl? No, no, you look like trouble to me. I'm not, I'm not having you in this house. And then the words came out of her mouth, and I don't know why they came out of her mouth. And she looked back and think, why did the words? Oh, but I've come, I've come to marry Lord Scott, Lord King Cayley. This is his house, isn't it? <laughs> I don't think that uh, you'll be marrying the master. I've got my eye on the master. If he's marrying anybody, he's marrying me, not the likes of a grubby urchin like you. But in the end. The housekeeper relented and said, right, you can come in, but you're only doing the mucky job, as I tell you. You can be bringing the coal in and you can be letting the grate and that's it. And that's what she did. But then one of the servants took pity on her and said, look, I tell you what, I've got a nice dress. You can get you out of those rags, have a bit of a wash. And, and she lent her the dress and then she brushed out her hair and her hair was so long and it transformed her hair nearly reached the ground while the housekeeper came in and saw her and she was furious. She was so jealous of Nellie's good looks that she hacked her hair off and she threw her out of the house. There is no work for you here. Well... Nellie didn't go far. She sat in front of the house and all of the frustration that she'd felt, all of that pent-up emotion, she just sat and for once she let the tears flow and they came tumbling down like a rain crowd. And then this old woman came up to her and said, what's the matter, love? What are you crying for? And she told her how she'd made her way over here, the journey that she'd had, how her feet had bled and how she had given her heart to Lord King Cayley and she wanted her heart, well, she wanted her heart to be with Lord King Cayley and she wanted to be with Lord King Cayley. The woman said, tell you what, if you can cry me a bowl of tears, I will give you a pair. Not just any old pair, mind. Well, Nellie was sobbing so hard she could have given her a bathtub of tears. 
And so the woman got her bowl of tears and she gave Nelly the pear and she said, if you cut this pear in half, it will play the sweetest music that you have ever heard and you can get whatever you want. And so Nelly cut the pear in half and sure enough, sweet music filled the air. And the housekeeper came out of the house and said, oh, it's you. I'll buy that pear off you. And Nellie said, money didn't buy this pair. Money won't buy this pair. But I'll give you this pair if you will take me back on just for three weeks. Take me back on to work there for three weeks. And reluctantly, the housekeeper agreed that that's what she would do. And once more, she sent Nellie to all the horrible, filthy jobs. She wouldn't even let her sleep in the house. Nellie slept outside with the dogs in the kennels. But then one day, Nellie saw the servant scrubbing away at this shirt. The shirt with the three bloodstains down it. Now, the servant who'd been kind to her said, Well, tell you what, they say that whoever gets the bloodstains out of that shirt, then the master will marry them. Oh, let me have a go. At which point the housekeeper came in and said, I don't think so. You're filthy. I'm not letting you put your filthy hands on a clean white shirt. It's not a clean white shirt. It needs washing. Don't give me any of your lip. But by that time, Nellie had already got the shirt in the water and she just scrubbed it gently she didn't even rub it very hard and of course the blood stains disappeared right said the housekeeper out out of here and then the housekeeper bribed all the other servants with 10 pounds a piece now i'm saying 10 pounds a piece that is a lot of money to tell the master that it had been the housekeeper that had scrubbed that shirt clean well nelly had happened to see the master about the house and and he never looked really happy anymore he looked sad and dejected and and he happened to see Nellie sneaking in to the kennels and he spoke kindly to her and softly to her but by which point the housekeeper came out and said look I, I've scrubbed your shirt clean I think um I think it's time for us to be wed but it so happened that the kindly servant was engaged to the butler and the butler had nothing to lose. And so he said to the master, I think you'll find, actually, um, that it was young Nellie here who scrubbed that shirt clean. Well, how dare you, said the housekeeper. Well, said the master, we'll soon find out because whoever scrubbed that shirt clean will have the tip of their finger missing. At which point the housekeeper disappeared into the house and Everybody suddenly heard an ow as the housekeeper chopped the tip of her finger off. And she went to the man and said, look, I, I, the tip of my finger is missing. Now, the master was no fool. He said, well, that looks like a pretty fresh cut to me. And the person who has their fingertip missing, it won't be, it won't be a, new, a new wound like that. And he brought out Nellie's glove and he said, also, their hand will fit into this glove. Well, of course, the housekeeper tried to pull the glove on and 
Well, her hands, they were used to hard, hard work and they were gnarled and they were knotty and, and they were big, strong hands. They didn't fit into a small, soft kidskin glove, whereas Nellie's obviously did fit into the kidskin glove. And with that, the housekeeper was dismissed. She even tried to get back the money that she'd given to the servants. But one of the servants said, no, no, it's all right. I'm sending it to my mum. And someone said, oh, no, it's all right. I've spent it. And the housekeeper left in disgrace. And as for Lord King Cayley, he turned to Nell and he said, well, you've had your sorrow. Now you can have your love. And Nellie had seen that actually Lord King Caliph had been in sorrow too. And so they both enjoyed love. And as they say, they lived, well, as happily ever after as anyone can expect to. There you have it, sorrow and love. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Vicky. That was great. That's a fantastic story. And that's the first time you've told that story. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's got so many extraordinary elements, hasn't it? I mean, I, do you, are you able to say anything about the provenance of it, where it came from? Yeah, um, and in fact, um, I've spent a lot of time thinking about the end of the story. And um, you knowing me, I could have spun that story out into an hour-long yeah, story. Yeah. I just yeah, suddenly yeah, thought, yeah, yeah. oh, yes, we're out of time. But I did think long and hard about whether to end it with her saying yeah, I do want to marry you, or whether I'm thinking, you know, well, actually, somebody that's chopped my finger off and put me through all this, do I really want to marry them? But I thought, because he's obviously been feeling sorrow too, that it was fitting. But, yeah, now the story itself, whoops, sorry, um, you can hear paper rusting there because there was a bit of original wording that I wanted to use, and that was the description of the gentleman's horse, because I just thought that language mm. was gorgeous. Now, um, there is actually a copy of this story in the Brotherton Library in Leeds, but it was taken um, as an oral story from somebody called Gus Gray in Cleethorpes, but Gus Gray wasn't the original storyteller either. There was um, various other people, so some people say that, um, so Gus Gray apparently was a gypsy and born in Lincolnshire. And some people say that um, that was his story, but other people say there are earlier versions of the story. And what I like about this story is there are various elements of magic in it. So it kind of hints at Beauty and the Beast, it kind of hints at Cinderella, um, it kind of hints at magic faraway places. There are lots and lots of elements mm. in it. I mean, I've brought my own um, elements into the story as well. So, you know, I thought I'll tie it up with a Valentine's Fair and things like that. Um, and one of the versions, what some of the girls were asking for, I just thought, oh, do you know, women are about more than ribbons and buttons and bows and things. So, mm -hmm. you know, I wanted to, to bring my own, I brought a lot of my own elements in it. But um, it obviously goes back a long, long way. So um, it's mm. at least 1800s, but because it's an oral story um, and in the gypsy and the traveller tradition as well, there is storytelling goes back a long way and it will have grown and changed over time. Mm. Um, and 
I, I think when I t- tell it again, it will have grown and changed over time too, mm. they say. Well, as you know, I find it really hard to rein in my story. Well, I could have listened for an hour. I could have listened for an hour. But that we and and sadly, um, we have to say goodbye to you in a minute. But I, I, well, there was one echo for me that was very strong: the bloodstained shirt, which is a fascinating image, I think. And um, I went to Albania a few times. We've been as a family about four times, and sort of I, know, I read a lot about the blood feuds out there. Oh, and, yes. And um, one of the which you might know about, and when somebody a young man had been killed because of the feud the family took the bloodstained shirt off the body hung it up for as long as the 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 rain took to wash out the blood of the shirt yeah. uh, you know which is an extraordinary image isn't it really oh yeah. yeah and then at that point that's when the blood feud can kick and then the next killing happens but you have to wait that period for the blood to, to run out of the shirt yeah I don't know if you know, but it's a yeah. I mean, I, I'm trying because there's um, echoes of another story, but also within the um, the gypsy and the travel tradition, there is the thing about the feuds as well between different families. Yeah. Um, and in fact, going back, my um, great great grandfather was actually um, a gypsy and. Well, I won't go into all the details. I'm married half out. Um, oh. So, uh, yeah, but no, uh, there's so much in there, I say. It's yeah. uh, a story that I'll, I'm going to work on on Rome. So, yeah, Absolutely. So thank you very much for letting me tell it. Well, thank <laughs> you for coming in, Vicky. As ever, it's a pleasure to have you here. And any time you want to come in and tell a new story, try us out on one. Thank uh, you. We'll try one out on us. <laughs> that would be brilliant. <laughs> Uh, so in the final 20 minutes of Love the Words today, we've got a feature. Uh, it's basically an interview that I did the other day with Shijoki Ojokwe, who is a community organiser in the Hare Hills. And he came in and read a poem as part of Sue Heimer Mansur Khan's w- uh, workshop during Writing on Air, a poem about Hare Hills, celebrating Hare Hills. Um, but he went to a conference recently, helped to organise it, which was about policing in Hare Hills. It's, and this is very much this, this piece about about language in the sense that it's about communication between uh, the police and the community of Hare Hills around um, around that community and the issues that p- pertain there. So um, without any more from me, and uh, yeah, thanks for listening to Love the Words. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, knowing the ground. I have a dream. I have a dream of a city on the hill. Hare Hills. Sitting between the trees and roses, between precious folks and their stories, between Pentecost fire burning through a thousand tongues, tongue tied like Tigrinia and Rome, Punjabi and Creole, blending with the sound of the chaos. I have a dream. Yeah, so Hairhouse, it's. Um, geographically speaking part of the inner city um, which means it's hidden it's it's in Leeds um, in the east of Leeds um, in the inner I think the inner east which is the geographical spread of Leeds that is more concentrated once you leave the city centre and it's a part of the city that has a very diverse demography in terms of the representation of nationalities who live there 
Um, it's close to Seacroft, where we are at the moment in terms of the ground. Um, and it's, I would say, it's a place that um, is part of the city. In that, if you're in the city centre, you see a city that is diverse, that is culturally awake, and Hales is part of that. But also, it's still the, it's still hidden from this city centre. I mean, you've got a large um, white working class community who also live there, who've lived there for a long time. You had Jewish refugees settled there for a long time as well. You have um, East Europeans from Poland, from Czech Republic, from Romania. You've got East Africans from Eritrea. But it has a large refugee and asylum seeker community. Then also a large migrant community. Uh, but yeah, I would say if you want to visit, come down and uh, <laughs> and try and get to Masawa, which is a restaurant, it's an Eritrean restaurant. If you if you're passing through here, it's, it's around here road. It's called Masawa. Um, it's this wonderful food, wonderful Eritrean food and coffee. So you're listening to Love the Words. And I'm in Studio One of Chapel FM, talking to Shizuki Ojuku. Hello, Shizuki. How are you doing? You good? Very well, thank you. And and Shizuki, you first of all came to us with uh, the group, the writing group that you were in, uh, with Sue Heimer, uh, Mansur Khan, and uh, that was part of writing on air. It was a really lovely occasion. Great to have you all here. Um, but this is this. I'm I'm talking to you today, or you're talking to me, I think, <laughs> rather mm. than the other way around, about. Uh, knowing the ground, an event that happened last week in the Hare Hills, a really important community event and gathering. Perhaps you could tell me a- about it. Thank you so much, Peter. Um, firstly, it was an event that was organised by um, Leeds Church Institute, Leeds Trinity University, and David Oluwale Memorial Association. So it was a collaboration. Um, but looking at policing in the inner city and public safety, in terms of what makes people safe, but also how do the police use their powers. And But we had music, we had food, and we had a, a panel of people who were quite senior within the police, uh, as well as the deputy mayor, answering questions from the audience around how the police are policing people in the inner city. And so, I mean, what? Yeah, who was there, first yeah. of all, and where were you? Yeah, I, I think firstly it's important to begin by honouring the people in, in the rooms. A lot of local residents from Hare Hills were there. I think we had probably about maybe 160 or even more than that um, in and out because the place was packed. So it was local people who lived in the area, but also members of staff from the university, as well as um, the deputy mayor, Alison Law, um, and the inspector of Leeds, Stephen Dodds, and the assistant chief constable, Khan. I don't know, it might be Osman Khan. So I guess it was a mix of those who had power within the structures as well as the people who live in the community. And that mix was actually what was good because it meant they could be- dwell together but also um, ask questions about each other. And, and set the scene, you were in Compton Library. Yeah. Yes, it was in Compton Library. It was beautiful. I mean, in terms of the way it was hosted, was we had food in the cafe area. And we had breakout sessions in the Compton Library. So we maximised the space. And the Compton showed us hospitality in terms of opening the doors for a local event, for a community event, and provided the chairs. And But the structure was a panel event for an hour, then breakout rooms across the whole of Compton Library. 
So first of all, before we hear about the event and what came out of it, perhaps you could just tell us exactly what your role within all this is. Yeah, I think, um, firstly, I'm a community organiser, which means it's to organise in the shadows, uh, which means to try and bring people together and to encourage people to have certain conversations. So on the one hand, I'm, I was involved in the planning of the event, um, but also David Uluwale Memorial has been there for a long time, and it's a charity that's focused on David's life story um, as a migrant who was the victim of police brutality. So in some ways, my role was to try and organise um, the community to try and come together, because there were those who felt, well, we've been to this sort of event for a long time, nothing changes. So I think trying to ensure that people could attend, but also advising both the partners how to engage because it's a very sensitive subject and I think just knowing that sometimes particularly from the police there's a sense in which um, you have um, not enough trust between the police and certain communities so I some ways see myself as a bridge in that trying to allow the police talk to us and also allow people to listen to the police. So what would you say, I mean, you know, the, are the main challenges mm. of the community in which you live and which you work as a community activist? I think it's complex in that the, if I think about hair hills carefully, um, there is the challenge of poverty, um, which is structural in terms of you don't find top man in hair hills through lane. <laughs> I wish you could, that would be more jobs. The only bank that used to be the Lloyds Bank, they've now closed, which means and everyone they, they were not hiring local people to start with. So I think you have the economic problems in terms of not enough opportunity. Um, but in relation to public safety, there's also crimes, which means there's a, there's a real problem with crime in terms of drug dealing, um, in terms of prostitution, in terms of... Um, but I think the two are connected and the lack of opportunities in itself encourages crime. Uh, but also because of the diversity of hair hairs you have in, and with all due respect, um, certain forms of police abuses. Um, a friend of mine was detained um, two months ago because they thought that he looked like someone else and took him to Putsi um, for the night. Um, so uh, in that instance, they, did, they released him without a custody report or without a reference number, and he didn't speak English. Um, now one can say that's one incident but still one is too many so I think there's certain forms of um, police abuse of powers or bad policing um, it's not always the case there's just a certain part of good policing but I think that there's, there's, there needs to be a lot of improvement made to improve how police use their powers amongst those who don't really know their rights in the language of the country so they know their human rights as human beings but they don't know what it means to be stopped and searched at 1am and what they, what they need to know from the police and on the day of, know, of knowing the ground were the, were the police represented in numbers I think they were well represented so the community engagement officer um, of the area he's a wonderful friend um, Tim he was there and I think another head of community engagement in Leeds was there Stephen Dawes like I said he's the he's quite senior within the force then the assistant chief constable so I felt the police honoured the invitation. We had written to the chief constable um, who couldn't make it. Um, well, in, in some ways, we would have loved to have seen him there. And, uh, and if he listens to Chapel FM, thank you, sir, for sending your assistant chief. 
we're going to come around as well to say hello to the people in the house. But I think it was a good representation, and they, they they listened. I felt the police were there to listen, um, but also members of the community also had to learn how to also listen to the police. And Alison Law, whose role is slightly complex because she's the deputy mayor, which means she holds the police accountable. So she was also there in the room to both speak on their behalf and also to speak to them. So do you think for some some residents of Hare Hills it was the first time they'd had a chance to really speak face-to-face with the police in that, in that kind of context? I mean, so you have the regular packed meetings that run, poorly attended. The last one I attended were about four people in Compton Library, or maybe five people, let's, let's try to be more generous. So the, poor, the packed meetings are poorly attended. This is probably the first time I would say you had more than 100 people in the room. What's a packed meeting? So, sorry, the packed meeting is a police and communities meet. I don't know what the T stands for, but it's a meeting that holds monthly where the police and the community meet um, to discuss issues affecting. I mean, on average, you have maybe seven or ten people. Um, but in terms of the representation, it's not people who don't speak English most times. It has a kind of narrow audience maybe intentionally or unintentionally. But I think this was the first time we had hundreds of people across different backgrounds and being able, and not just to speak, but to speak honestly, because I've been to PAC meetings where um, I feel that the people are cautious. Uh, and we have to be honest around that. The police have powers. They're those who are afraid of speaking against the police. Um, and that's one of the persons should have been on the panel that, they pulled out some of them because they were not too sure of what it would mean for them if they were to tell their stories. I mean, this this program that you're on now, Love the Words, is about language and about the use of language. It's mm. about communication. Um, did you feel that that context, that situation, afforded people generally uh, the, the the opportunity to talk uh, yeah, oh. in openly in the end? Although that obviously that was the intention. Do you think they did? I mean, thank you so much, Peter. That's actually a good question because we ran out of time. So we had some things we planned to do. One was to read the Section 60, which is a police power for stop and search in four languages, in Tigrinia, in Polish, in Roma, and Romanian. But because of the time, we couldn't do that. So there's a plan to launch a project to communicate police powers in different languages. Um, in terms of the day, we had... So language played the key factor. So we had uh, Romanian bands play some jazz, which was wonderful music, wonderful jazz in, 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 in the mother tongue. Um, it was mostly in English, most of the conversation, but there was a diversity of audience to the panelists. But I, I think you're right in that if I was to look back and to do things differently, there was room or there was need to have some more chaotic communication. By that I mean languages being mixing and that texture of hearing different sounds. But it was planned on the day. It was because of the timing. Um, but that being said, there's a long-term plan to communicate police powers in different languages that is represented in Hair Hills. Mm. I mean, we can come back here. I can read some of that in here as well. That'd be wonderful. Well, that would be really interesting. I, I mean, I, I love the idea of chaotic communication. I, mean, mm. I think most communication is quite chaotic. <laughs> but I like the idea of that the, a randomness there that perhaps can get lost in a more panelled situation. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm not thought about that. I mean, I'm, I'm a Pentecostal, which means <laughs> I'm part of a bit of a, that kind of chaos. So I come from a tradition of translation and people preaching and people moving and people dancing and... So I, I think we, we I thought about well how chaotic should this event be? You have four translators at the same time, 
But what happened was people came to the event with people to translate for them. So within the audience, I mean, there was a guy who came from Senegal. Um, so there were young people in the room translating. It's part of the event. But I, I think you're right. That question is something that if the job is to be done well in a place like Hair Hills, we have to be multilingual in that the police have to speak the language of the people. The people have to understand the language of the police, including police powers, as well as what it means to um, to be under arrest mm. when you don't understand what arrest means in English. Um, so I think that's an area, if I was to say, an area of improvement. Um, but it was it was designed to accommodate that texture because of the delay in time and plan. And we thought, well, this bit is really important within police powers. But we're going to hold on to the next time to kind of communicate over the next few months, police powers in different languages. So what do you think, yeah, that, I mean, taking us on to the future, do, yeah. what do you think has been gained and what will be taken forward? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can only speak as a witness for myself, um, but I hope that others who came to attend the event were able to see the beauty uh, I think it's really important that people see the beauty in the area. Hair Hills, for me, it's like the United Nations um, in concrete terms, in language terms, in diversity terms, and it's there was beauty in the room. So welcome to Hair Hills, to the United Nations, you may say, where beauty hides between the precious dreams of children and littered pavements, where the bins are forgotten like African names without labels. <laughs> Welcome to Hair Hills, where talent is precious and yet somehow wasted. I think one let them see that there's beauty here, but also there's also suffering here, in which there's a sense in which um, the beauty is not fully appreciated by the power structures. Um, and I think, too, I hope that the police can also understand the fears. Because uh, one thing we looked at was stop and search, and we looked at the data uh, nationally, and the disproportionality is too high. And it's mostly just children being stopped at night. So parents could speak as parents. I'm hoping those who are within the force can understand that there are certain concerns that a mother has over her child being stopped um, that um, should be listened to and understood. And also members of the community also will be open to building bridges because they're good police officers who respect the law, who want to see the community thrive. And it's about how do people say, actually, what is my role in building a bridge? It's really interesting how you talk about the beauty of the area. But for some people, that beauty, it isn't beauty they see, it's a problem, I suppose, because there are so many nationalities and crime. Yeah, and, so and I think that, that's, that has to do with um, but an elephant in the room, which is racism. Um, and I think the, the elephant is a big one. And it, the elephant is big in size, which means it has a long shadow. So I think because of that long shadow of racism, it's hard to see the beauty. Um, but I think we all have to find ways to to be patient with one another, uh, even with the person who cannot see the beauty, uh, but also to also allow them to, to press in further, to say, okay, you can see beauty here. And in my view, I think the the power structures, including the local authority, the police, the MPs, um, the head of the council, 
the chief constable, they have to come to the area and tell people it's it's good here. Because um, if they don't also lead from the front, more people will be afraid to come to her house. Um, but I think if, if you have, people say, okay, well, if if you hold certain council meetings in her house and invite us to just attend them rather than civic call. Civic call is nice and posh. Uh, we give thanks. Uh, but I think the more the power structure moves to the area just to host meetings or to engage, people will see they don't need to be afraid. And I want to speak on the fear issue because I recognize for some people it's a question of there's fear about the crime, so which means you don't want to be too near there because of the crime. And I think that the crime is real, um, but the fear also has to be understood through perception. There's a perception that the crime is higher than it is. Um, so so the more people can overcome the fear and spend more time in the area, they would see the beauty. Yeah, is there anything you want to flag up in the uh, yeah. future? I think one is to, um, just for those who are interested in being engaged um, in further work in, in the area, um, because one thing I have to recognize is there are people who care about um, hair hairs in different ways but those who are looking at public safety and police accountability um, we are hoping to engage more around that so the, the newspapers is about to be launched East Side Story this goes live tomorrow at 3pm um, and once that is been established that will become an outlet to communicate what's happening in the area but for anyone who is interested I mean I'm available and they can always reach me um, I can leave my email as well as, but it's, we welcome, and I, I use the word everyone intentionally. It's not people who live in her health, it's people who care about what's going on. Well, tell, tell us more. You've got a copy of East Side Story, the first issue. Yeah, there, so, so this is, is beautiful. Uh, yeah, so I've just designed the, uh, this is the call and response for are you a writer? Are you a hairdresser? Are you a poet? Are you a cleaner? Are you interested in writing or something? Then at the moment, the email is editor at eastsidestory.uk just to submit any kind of article or involvement it's going to start as an online paper for the first few months so we can build momentum but ideally anyone who wants to become involved can send an email to editor at eastsidestory.uk and we are hoping that it's a way of telling a better story um, of the area but also connecting people Welcome to a rainbow republic like Harlem and yet the city sleeps Jim Crow still haunts the streets not afraid of police even the council deals in second-class towns. But surely there is more. But nothing can be built without love. Not even those on the margin. These are still precious children of God. So I have a dream of a city in the hill. Okay. Hey.